I got two witnesses there. That's all we need. So I'm going to continue talking about healing. And before we do, I feel like we need to break off disappointment. You know, healing is one of those things that can never be reduced just down to a doctrine. It can never just be something that we have the right beliefs about and we agree with it doctrinally. We need to see it flowing in our lives. And so we see the need for healing all around us. Guys, we need another tidal wave level of <laughs> anointing to come, into our, uh, to come into our midst. And so we've seen wonderful things. We've, uh, we continue to see wonderful things. But I, we need to see more. Okay, and so um, I, I just feel like some of us, we've gone after it, we pray for it. Cameron, I appreciate you getting up on the mic, Cameron, that was just fire, and so um, that guy's got preacher all over him, so that was so good, and, uh, it, but I, I, I love what you were getting at is just because we prayed for something and haven't seen it, don't stop, okay? I don't know why it hasn't manifested, I'm not going to try to figure that out, I'm just going to try to keep my eyes on what he says, and I'm going to have my beliefs come in alignment with his beliefs, and so... If you, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but uh, let's just pray together. If you have prayed for something, it hasn't happened, and you feel that disappointment setting in, we need to, we need to break that off, because hope deferred makes the heart sick. We don't want to give up hope. Okay, so Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you haven't changed. You are faithful. You are not a man that you should lie. Your words are yes and amen, and I pray that you will lift the veil from our eyes and from our hearts, that we will hear your words afresh that we will believe for healing afresh, uh, not just so that we can be healed, but so that your name can go forth in this city. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question. What if you received Jesus as healer the same way you received him as Savior? I don't, I don't know. Is, is that legal? Yeah, it's legal. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that today. So last, last time we met, I was going to say last week, boy, we're just in like a time warp now with the uh, meeting on the first and third Sundays. In case you're new here, we meet on the first and third Sundays corporately, second and fourth Sundays uh, we meet in, uh, in houses and church, in house churches. So <clears throat> I want to continue talking about this, but I want to get how Jesus paid for it all. I want you to get this. The same way that he paid for your sins, he paid for your physical healing. It wasn't like a separate package. Imagine like a man is, a lot of people are like, well, the most important thing is he paid for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, I guess if you want to get technical, probably, but here's the good news. He didn't divide it up into pieces. It wasn't like, okay, here's the pie for forgiveness of sins, and the advanced group gets this. No, no, no. It was all the same pie. Imagine a person who's drowning. You're not like, I only want to save the inner man and not the outer clothing. You know, it's like, like you rip the whole person out. You know, I'm, I'm just going to save his body, but not his soul. Like, you, you're... Right? You pull the whole person out. Humanity was drowning in the consequences of sin, and the cross said, I'm going to pay for the whole package. Saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. He didn't separate it out. So you can take my word for it, or we can spend the next 25 minutes going through the word of God. So if you'll turn with me in your iPads to Exodus chapter 12, I want you to see that uh, sickness and sin, when it was dealt with, it was always dealt with in the same package. So here we go. Are we going to have you have your track shoes on today? So Exodus 12, these are instructions for the Passover. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. What was this for? This was the blood sacrifice to atone for sin. It didn't wipe out sin. It kind of postponed it until Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, would come. Emily started referring to that. We appreciate that. Uh, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I want you to make this, uh, this correlation. The blood marked them as being purchased by God. You know what happened in the very next thing? They all walked out healed. 
Remember, it says they all walked out with none feeble among them. Isn't it interesting? The blood marked them as the people of God, and they walked out healed. Isaiah 33, 24, um, no inhabitant, this is actually speaking of Zion. Another translation says, no inhabitant of Zion will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. Sickness and sin dealt with in the same package. Malachi, also known as the Italian prophet Malachi, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. But for you who fear my... No one calls him the Italian prophet Malachi, in case you're wondering. I never heard that. No, I just made that up. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness... What is righteousness? It's God's antidote for sin. If I'm talking a little too fast, I'm sorry. I get excited. Righteousness is God's antidote for sin. It's where you enter into a realm where God no longer deals with you based on your behavior. He deals with you based on Jesus' behavior. You've all entered into that realm if you're born again. And look at the result of this. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. Just a fun little side note. The, word, uh, Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The word is kanaf for wings. Kanaf was the edge of a garment. It was the little tassel part that uh, the, the righteous Jews wore. And so um, what was the thing that the woman with the issue of blood, she was bleeding for a number of years, wasted all her money on doctors, nothing was happening that was good. And uh, what did she do? She went and touched the... She touched his wings. She touched his kanaf. There was a woman recognizing this is the son of righteousness. This is the Messiah. And he comes with healings in his kanaf. Isn't that interesting? Sickness is to your body what sin is to your soul. I don't want anyone here who's battling an illness, a sickness, pain, an ailment, disease, whatever it might be. I don't want anyone to feel bad. I want you to see that they're both an affront to God's purposes, and he wants you restored out of both of them. Sickness is to your body what sin is to your soul. What I want you to have is this burning conviction. Like nobody's going to God and saying, Lord, if it be what your will, forgive me. Like, like, no, we understand that he paid for it. We don't have that same clarity, a lot of us, that he, he's not up there deciding on a case-by-case basis whether or not you're worthy to be healed. He said yes 2,000 years ago. Amen. He paid for sin, sickness, and your abundant provision all in the same package. I'm going to keep proving it through Scripture. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. How many of you guys know sometimes you just need to talk to yourself? It's best to do it when no one else is around so you don't look crazy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David's commanding his soul. Mind, quit focusing on that junk. Focus on this. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Don't forget his benefits is actually a command. Why is this important? Because we're called into a lifestyle where we are going to need to have a conscious awareness of the benefit package of the cross. Here's the benefits. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. What happened? It's part of the same package. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I know we're going through a lot. I want you guys to see it wasn't like one scripture that, oh, there was a strange Greek word that sometimes gets translated. It's throughout the whole scripture. It's always been God's plan. All the consequences of sin to pull you out of that mess. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. So word was getting around that Jesus is doing miracles, crowds coming. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. How many of you guys know you need a small group like that? All right, these four guys are like, hold on, we can't get them? Carry them on the mat. 
They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. We're not going to talk about that uh, scripturally, the vandalism there. Okay, <clears throat> they, uh, then they lowered, uh, uh, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I mean, I, I know that we're just reading this story, but can you just imagine, like, you know, I'm up here preaching away, you know, blah, blah, and uh, all of a sudden, you'll hear, hear like this sawing noise, like, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to power through, you know, how sometimes like the kids are crying, you know, and I just try to like power through, right? Like, but imagine like there's something you know, like a sawdust is coming on people's heads, and this is quite a commotion. These guys, they were committed. <laughs> these are good friends. The fellowship of the mat, these guys here. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I want to see the video of that in heaven. That just sounds amazing. Seeing their faith. I don't even know what that means, but I want to find out. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now, this guy didn't come confessing his sins. He wasn't like, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. He's just getting lowered in a mat. What's Jesus doing? He's about to heal him, but he recognizes this guy needs the shame broken off him of sin first. Verse 6, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning. Don't you love the scribes, those poor guys? How many of you guys realize there's some scribes and Pharisees still on Facebook? If you guys haven't seen them, just follow me and watch the comments. Okay, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned themselves. So it wasn't obvious, but he knew what they were thinking. I just love this. I mean, Jesus, oh, he's so sweet. Um, I want to, this is interesting. Their questioning affected his spirit. He like has his spiritual antenna up all the time such that he could sense a disturbance in the force, right? Remember in Mark chapter 6, uh, people are starting to get healed. Jesus is in his hometown. They're stunned. They're, they said that there was gracious words coming off of his lips. They actually recognized the Holy Spirit on his lips. And then they got offended and said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Didn't we, didn't we see this kid grow up? Didn't we go to high school with this guy? Right? They get offended in their heart. And so, guys, there's questions that are hungry for God. God, what does this mean? And there's questions that are in opposition to God. I don't know about this. We've got to be careful about the kinds of questions we ask. The questions that are, uh, that are hungry for God take us to Jesus past our understanding. God, I don't understand this. I'd like to understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Those questions in opposition are, I don't know about this. Prove it to me. Let me see this. People think that they're a noble Berean because they're asking questions, but you're just a negative brethren. The noble Bereans eagerly searched the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Those are questions that are taking you to Jesus. The people who think they're noble Bereans because they doubt everything that sounds miraculous, you're a functional atheist. How are we doing? Where are we at? Verse 6 switches. Now, verse 9. Verse 8. Jesus said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and take up your mat and walk. This is one of the most important stories in the New Testament because in one brush stroke, he's showing you it's part of the same package here. Now, I don't know about you. To me, which is easier to say is uh, your sins are forgiven. That's a whole lot easier to say. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, like I can say it. To say, rise, take up your mat and walk. So Jesus is saying, hey, which one's easier? Because you guys think it's harder to, to do the forgiveness of sin thing. That's what they're wrestling with. Verse 9, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man. He refers to him as the Son of Man. It's a title that was given in uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where it talks about the Messiah, the Son of Man, would come riding on the clouds. So he's intentionally uh, making this kind of double entendre here, where it's like, I'm just the Son of Man, I'm just a person, but it's kind of like the religious Jews like, hold on, is he calling himself Messiah? They couldn't really trick him on it. He's such a master of this stuff. But just so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, just so you think that I can't actually do the harder one, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified, saying, glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. We ain't never seen nothing like this before. I don't know if you've ever seen a paralyzed person get up and walk. I've seen it a few times, and... It leaves in awe about you, in awe about you. I mean, I, I was in one meeting, and uh, they literally carried a guy in on a mat. I mean, it was, uh, they didn't lower him through the roof. They carried him, and they just stuck him on stage, and just, you know, just going, like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, it's kind of going on, and uh, we were having a ministry time, and right in the middle of the ministry time, he got up and started dancing with nobody praying for him. It was like his legs were still skinny and everything. Mark, I think you were there. Yeah, and so, so good. Here's Jesus. With one brushstroke, he deals with the root of the problem. Someone recently uh, said this to me. In Bible days, they never doubted if Jesus could heal. They wondered if he could forgive sin. Today, believers don't doubt their forgiveness. They wonder if he still heals. He forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Can you imagine blowing it, asking God for forgiveness, and him saying, It's not my timing. It's not my will to forgive your sins in this case. Come back later. Press in. Pers- no, no, no. We, we, we have this revelation. So about 400 years ago, there was something called the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther was a monk, and uh, through reading the scripture, mostly through Romans, he, uh, he gets this revelation that, hold on, we're not forgiven because of our works. We're forgiven because of what Jesus did. He gets this revelation of a, of, that we're saved by grace through faith. He gets this revelation of the forgiveness of sins. It wasn't until about 350 years later that the, uh, that the revelation came to the church that we are also healed by that same cross. We don't have 400 years of momentum. If you go back just like 150 years ago to some of the revival meetings, they had something that they would call a mourner's bench. So imagine uh, like, you know, the late 1800s, Billy Sunday, uh, evangelists like that, they're preaching, Jonathan Edwards, they would, uh, not Jonathan Edwards, um, Charles Finney, and so they would be preaching, and people would come under such conviction of sin, but they didn't know what to do with it. And they would go to these mourner benches, and they would literally cry out to God for days and sometimes weeks until they felt like they had a breakthrough and they could feel saved. So just, I mean, think, so this revelation comes, you're saved by grace or faith. And decade after decade, century after century, um, they're still taking a long time to be able to receive it. You guys see what I'm saying? Now, when somebody gets saved, boom, they get it instantly. We have, we have, the momentum of that revelation. We don't have that yet with healing. And the gift of healing was restored to the body of Christ, I mean, in mass, probably in the late 1800s. And so we still have people who hear the message, but it takes a little while. So let's give ourselves a big dose of grace that we don't have hundreds of years where we can go, oh, healed, boom. We're going to get there, and I believe we're supposed to help pioneer this. But I want you to see that just historically, we're still growing in this thing. It's okay to be in kindergarten, but we're not going to stay there. How are we doing? Am I machine gunning you guys, or are you okay? All right. I'm now out of ketosis. I have more energy. 
Thank God, that was horrible. I told you, ketosis is Greek for starvation. So, all right, um, how, how are we getting into that? Okay, um, sickness is the body, what sin is the soul. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah is, is a chapter about the Messiah. So Isaiah the prophet, thousands of years before the, uh, the birth of Jesus, he's, he's getting a picture of what the Messiah's work would do. Here it is. Uh, he's speaking of the suffering and what his death would purchase. Yet it was for our weaknesses, some translations say sicknesses, he carried. It was for our sorrows and diseases that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You're seeing he paid for your inner sickness and your outer sickness. All in the same piece of the cross there. Some people, I, so just, just you know, there's, there's people out there who love to argue this. Well, Jim, then Isaiah 53, that only applies to forgiveness of sins. Okay, and then I, mean, I can say where you'd get that. It's in there. And so, but listen to this. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus, he's doing some healings. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah 53 and says, what I'm doing is actually fulfilling this. What I'm healing these physical bodies, I'm going to read it to you in a second, but I want you to see, Jesus thought Isaiah 53 referred to, referred to physical healing. I'm telling you, you go outside of churches that believe in healing, and they're going to nail you on this. So Isaiah 53, no, that's just for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't think so. Let's read it in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law. So Peter was married. There's a revelation. He saw, Peter's mo- he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with the fever. Verse 15, he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was, the, this, was, uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It's interesting, 1 Peter 2.24 quotes this same passage and applies it to the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 2.24, uh, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he quotes it, by his wounds you have been healed. One applies it to physical healing. One applies it to the forgiveness of sins. What's it, what's it saying? It's the whole package. God isn't separating out the goodies. He says, I'm, every, I'm redeeming you from every effect of sin. Oh yeah, well, here we are getting to this. This is brilliant. Uh, Galatians 1.4. This is, this is one of my favorite verses. I feel like I forget about it too often. Galatians 1.4. I do not have this one up on the screen. I just threw this one in this morning. Sorry, guys. Jesus gave himself for our, our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Jesus gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age. A lot of people think when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. It's going to stink here on earth. I don't have anything else to rhyme it. I mean, it's just like we get this idea that, you know, all of the promises of God are for eternity. They're for the millennium. They're for heaven. But, you know, for now, it's just we've got to suffer. It's going to be horrible. We got to get to this. And there is suffering for living in a bright light in a dark place, but there's not one place in the Bible where somebody's suffering for Jesus was them being sick. There's not one place in the Bible. That's religion that has to teach you that kind of stupidity. He came to deliver you from this present evil age. People are like, oh, it's, you know, there'll be pie in the sky and the sweet by and by. I want steak in my plate while I wait. <laughs> it can be good in the here, now, and now. 
When Christ died, he died to purchase our redemption from every effect of sin. Not just sin itself, every effect of sin. So that means healing, deliverance, abundant provision of your finances so that you have the provision for your vision. God's not a cool God where he put gifts, talents, dreams, prophetic words over your life. He says he prepared good works in advance for you to do. He didn't put all that and then just pull back the provision and say, I'm just going to watch you squander. Well, too bad, people. It's just a little carrot dangling and you're on the treadmill trying to chase it. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there's a word there, sozo, S-O-C-Z-O. That's how how it gets transliterated into English. We have a sozo ministry. And it's interesting because that one word, uh, it gets translated so many different ways depending on the context because it's all part of the same package. So when Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink, he cried out, Jesus, save me. It's the word sozo. Jesus, sozo me. Guys, if salvation only meant forgiveness of sins, that wouldn't make any sense. It meant a rescue. It meant a protection. You're saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected. When the disciples cried out, uh, they were at the bottom of the boat, there was a storm. The disciples cried out to Jesus, save us, we perish. It's the word sozo. Jesus didn't say, every head bow, every eye closed. They're asking to be saved. No one looking around. Repeat this prayer after me. He wasn't talking about the forgiveness of sins. He was talking about a rescue. When someone was saved in the Bible, it, of course, it included the forgiveness of sin. In uh, Luke 7, there's a woman. She lived a uh, sinful lifestyle. She recognizes Jesus as, uh, as her Savior. She uh, falls down at his feet. She begins crying. She washes her, his feet with her tears and with his hair. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 7, verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has sozoed you, has saved you. Go in peace. What's the point I'm making? Sozo is the word for salvation. It includes salvation, healing, deliverance, protection. Luke 8, the uh, man of the Gerasenes, uh, he's a demoniac. He had a legion full of demons. Jesus commands the evil spirits to come out of the man. The, uh, the demons go into a herd of pigs. It was the first case of deviled ham. <clears throat> Verse 36. And the pigs, they all ran into the water to drown the Bay of Pigs. <laughs> oh, how quickly you turn, you fickle group. <laughs> Luke 8, verse 36. Those who had seen it, seen, seen, told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. It's the word sozo. Here, the, the, the man, he needed deliverance from demons. He, and what happened? That deliverance was called salvation. It was called a sozo. Luke chapter 8, Jesus is walking through a crowd of people. They're all pressing in on him. And there's a woman with that issue of blood that I told you about earlier. She's bleeding. She can't stop bleeding. And uh, Jesus feels power. She touches the hem of his garment, his kanaf, the wings of it. Uh, she touches it, and Jesus feels power go out from him. And uh, here's what verse 48 says. Then Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you, has sozoed you. It's the word sozo. Go in peace. Look at the very next verses, Luke uh, chapter 8, verse 49 and 50. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came out of the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter has, is dead, he said. Don't, and your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. That's what the disciples, the bodyguards, the 12 bodyguards are saying. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be sozoed. Healed, restored. Your daughter will be saved, delivered, kept from death itself. She had already died. 
And here it's used for a dead raising. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. A lot of people get all excited about the oil. Oh, this is oil from Jerusalem. Ooh. It's like it's got some kind of special powers or whatever. It says, the next verse, it says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I'm not trying to downplay the, uh, the anointing with oil. Sometimes God will have us do things physically that prophetically speak to what he's doing in the spirit. It's saying, God, just as the way I'm smearing oil on them, I'm recognizing that your Holy Spirit is coming upon them for healing in a real way. But don't pay attention to the oil. I mean, you can use the grease from your forehead if you want. It doesn't matter. It's the prayer offered in faith that makes the sick person well. Don't try that during COVID, all right? Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise sozo him up. There's the word there. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be sozoed, healed. Are you guys getting the picture here? 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy some of the works of the devil. The rest of them you have to wait till you get to heaven. No, that's not what it says. 1 John 3, 8, the, Son of, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil in this present age. Matthew 1.21, I know we got our track shoes on. You guys are doing good. Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son. This is a prophecy of the Messiah speaking of Mary. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from every effect of sin. Not just forgiveness, the whole package. Oh, I do have Galatians 1.3-4 on here. I didn't know that. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. I love that. Jesus paid for it all. I mean, I'm, gonna kinda, I'm beginning to circle in for the landing here. Okay, The landing gear is starting to come out. I can see the runway, but it's a little bit away still. Okay, so um, Jesus paid for all. I like to think of it as like the one-step program. I appreciate Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program. I mean, those are, a lot of those are biblical principles that you're trying to walk out. I think that those principles work a whole lot better with the prince. But I'm not against it. Anything that's helping people walk out of addiction, I'm not downing it at all. Okay, I, th I think it's a good thing. But Jesus didn't have the 12-step program. He had the one-step program. Darkness to light. Bam. Okay? Um, forgiveness of sins, John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of, the God who, Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. He paid for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know if I gave the guys all these, but anyway, just God bless you guys trying to do the slides up there. Jesus is the one who will heal us of any disease, sickness, or pain. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He bore sickness and carried our pain. By his stripes, we are healed. Jesus is the one who will heal us emotionally. Isaiah 61 says he is the one who heals the brokenhearted. I want you to see it's not just the outside, it's the inside healing that he does too. He heals us from addictions and bondage to sin or habits. Luke 4.18, he says he sets the captive free. I'm trying to paint a picture, guys. It's not just, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. You know, go say 10 Hail Marys. It's not about these rituals. It's, this, it, it's about the forgiveness of sins, but every effect of sin. Um, it's a healing from depression. Colossians 1.13 says he brings those from darkness to light. Uh, he frees you from demonic bondage and torment. Acts 26 verses 17 and 18 says he frees you from the power of Satan and turns you over to the power of God. He's made you unpunishable. Boy, religion doesn't like this one. 
Religion likes to make you feel like if you did something wrong, that there's this distance and there's this separation. Here's the good news of the gospel. Once you got saved, there's no distance, no separation. You've been made unpunishable. Here's a crazy verse. It's going to use the word propitiation. How many of you used the word propitiation in the last 24 hours? Anybody? But there was a hand that went up. That's amazing. Like, what kind of conversations are happening in your family? That's amazing. Yeah, so... I can't even imagine how you'd work that into a conversation. Like, you know, I guess, what rhymes with nation? Propitiation. Like, that can maybe that. So, so um, propitiation, it was, a, it, was a, it was a term from the Jewish sacrificial world. So listen, to, I didn't even write where it was from. I think it's in 1 John something, verse 2. I didn't write it down. I can't remember. This is speaking of Jesus. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world, okay? The propitiation, it was, uh, there was, um, the picture was all of God's wrath would come against this lamb so that he had no wrath left. All he had left for you was grace and peace. Jesus became the lightning rod that extinguished all of God's wrath against humanity. So all he has left for you is grace and peace. That's good news for me. Not only are you unpunishable, you've been adopted. So not did you get only get rid of all the negative, now you get brought into all the positive. Romans 8.15, for you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. If you were to go to a Jewish uh, store and you would hear a little boy in the background calling for his dad, he'd say, Abba. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of intimacy. He says, we get brought into that same relationship where we can say, Dad. Father, Papa, whatever it is that's a term of endearment for you. Abundant provision. This is offensive. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's it mean when he says it's a grace? It means he paid for it on the cross. And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jim, this is talking about spiritual riches. The problem with that is the, the context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is two whole chapters talking about money. The context is money. The word rich there is used of financial provision in every case in the New Testament. What's it mean that he became poor? He became poor for six hours on the cross. Same way he became sin, same time he became cursed, same, all those things. Six hours on the cross, he was poor. He was stripped, he was in, and all that. And um, so that you may be rich. What's rich mean? Well, let's just at least put it this. Have the abundant provision for whatever your, whatever your divine assignment is. My definition of prosperity is you have more than enough finances to fulfill every divine assignment God has for you and enough left over to help others fulfill theirs. I didn't say every Christian is going to be a zillionaire. We're not talking about sow a Toyota to reap a Ferrari. We're not talking about all these prosperity gimmicks from the 80s. We are talking about is God wants you to have enough money to fund your life mission and make your greatest impact. And he paid for it on the cross. God would no more rather have you in poverty than he would have you in adultery. He paid for you to come out of both. No one needs to feel bad about their current financial condition, but we need to raise our eyes to the cross and see what he paid for. You can be broke and not be poor. Broke is a temporary financial condition. Poverty is a lens that only sees meager possibilities. And when you only see meager possibilities, you're going to severely limit heaven's ability to invade your finances. Because prosperity starts with who you have, not what you have. Come to the Wealth with God conference to find out more. (laughs) Coming to a church near you. Well, Jim, this sounds like the health and wealth gospel. I got some good news for you. Jesus didn't die for the sickness and poverty gospel. 
There's nowhere he blessed somebody with leprosy. There's nowhere in the Bible where poverty is seen to be a blessing and a good thing from heaven. We're to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no poverty in heaven, no recessions. God has abundance, the enemy has a budget. I conclude with this. Don't you love some of those stories in the Old Testament? Oh, my word. They had some hot messes back then. And so uh, one of them is Israel, they are sinning, and God sends a bunch of poisonous snakes. I mean, I'm not going to try to get into theology of it. I'm just reporting you the facts, okay? And so I love how the King James puts it, fiery serpents. That just draws up some imagery, doesn't it? And so they're, they're sinning, they're, they're worshiping idols, and so uh, I, I feel like what happened is God lifted up the protection. Here they are in the desert with no protection. It's almost like God lifted the protection, and now what would naturally happen is happening. And so they're freaking out. People are dying. And so Moses goes and inquires the Lord. He's like, God, these fiery serpents, like it's, it's really cramping our style out here, you know? So God says, here's what I want you to do. Remember, everything in the Old Testament points to the cross, it pointed would be fulfilled by Jesus. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to uh, make a, a bronze serpent. Uh, I mean, I want you to make a, like a statue of, of, of the snake out of bronze. And I want you to hold it up and put it on a stick and hold it up. And everyone who looks at that bronze serpent will be healed. Okay, that sounds pretty good, right? And so it's interesting. Why would a bronze snake represent Jesus? I mean, that sounds kind of disgusting. Like, why would he do that? Bronze was what was used on the, um, the altar of uh, sacrifice. It was, it was, it, bronze represented God's judgment. Okay, that's what the altar of sacrifice, all the, remember when we went through the uh, uh, five sacrifices of Leviticus earlier this year? Yeah. So remember, so bronze represented God's judgment. The snake represented the animal that was cursed. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, it was the serpent that came and deceived Eve. So here it is, this, this picture of this cursed judged creature. Jesus is saying, I became cursed for you. I became judged for you. And John 3 picks up this imagery and he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, if the son of man, the Messiah, he's using code language there, the son of man be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Everyone who looked at the son of man being lifted up as cursed and judged in their place receives healing. So I ask you again, what if you received the healing in your body the same way you received the forgiveness of your sins? If I ask God for forgiveness and I don't feel forgiven, I don't spiral down into this thing. I, by faith, say, God, I may not feel it, but I know that by grace, what's grace? You paid for it on the cross independent of my performance. It's not because of my goodness. It's because of your goodness. It's not because of my great love for you. It's because of your great love for me. God, you did this because of who you are, not because of who I am. And so I take it by faith. I see with the eyes of the Spirit. And I say, God, I am forgiven, not because I feel forgiven and I feel worthy. I do it because Jesus is worthy. Jesus got what you deserved so you can get what he deserved. It's, it's, it's the good news of the cross. Jesus got what you deserved so you can get what he deserved. And so when I... Uh, how did I receive salvation? I saw that I heard good news and I believed it. How do you receive healing? You hear good news. He paid for your healing in the same way that he paid for the forgiveness of your sins 
and you believe it. That's it. How do we receive healing? We see Jesus hanging on the cross, that he bore our sickness, carried our pain, and by his stripes we are healed. And we believe it. There's a gift of faith in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, but I believe all faith is a gift. And it comes from uh, looking at Jesus. When I see him and what he did, faith is a natural response. So that's what I've been trying to do today is look, show you what Jesus did. Last time we looked at Jesus, it's his will for you to be healed every time right now. He never has a purpose for your pain. He never, has a, you know, he never laid hands on somebody and say, oh, you need to wait a week. You need to go fast 40 days. You're right in the middle of an important lesson that this sickness is teaching you. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And he healed every person who came to him without exception. Here's what I want to do. If you guys could stand to your feet. And you're going to release your own healing anointing on yourself. I want you to look at your hands for a second. Jesus said that believers would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. I want you to get this thought. These babies are loaded. You better be careful what you're releasing out of these things. What's the difference between you releasing it and uh, just thinking it's a fable? Faith. No one's going to feel bad, but guys, we have got to take steps forward in our time together here. And so this is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Everyone gets an oar. Everyone gets a station. And so I'm not trying to make people like do things that are like super uncomfortable. Okay, maybe a little bit. But I'm going to have you pray for yourself today. Okay? And so I would imagine that a large number of people in here, if Jesus were standing before you and he's like, hey, passing out healing, you'd be like, okay, I got something. So we celebrate progress, not perfection here. But I want to get, guys, we, we, can't, we can't keep letting people get prayer here and have them leave the same. If you get prayer from me and you do not get healed, you had an encounter with Jim, you did not have an encounter with Jesus. And I'm doing my best so that you have an encounter with Jesus. We're all, I'm sure most of the people in here, you're, you're trying to grow on that stuff. I'm, I'm not trying to lay guilt on anybody. I'm just trying to, to set our compass headings. We still want to have a healing room downtown. That's an alternative to the emergency room. Some of that may be closer than you think, depending on how some things work out here. So, um, cryptic. <sighs> Guys, there, there's a calling on this church for healing. We've seen more dead raisings than any other church in America that I know of. Okay? We're at 16 right now. Thank God none of them have died during service. We don't have like an Ananias and Sapphira ministry that we're having here. Okay, God has a special touch. It's nothing that we have done. I guarantee you other churches are praying more, fasting more, doing more. The only thing that we've done good is we've rested fully that Jesus paid for it all. The moment you try to give God a reason to bless you, you're in dead works and you've cut yourself off from grace and God can't flow into that. We have to 100% say, God, it's all because of you. So say this with me. Um, healing is not my idea. Healing is God's idea. I'm not trying to convince him. He's trying to convince me. So in a second, I'm going to have you lay that dangerous five-finger mitt <laughs> on that part of the body that needs it. And um, there's no performance there's no trying to work up the anointing. Get this phrase, helpless dependence. I'm coming to you like a little child in helpless dependence, recognizing you paid for it all. I'm seeing you as that cursed, judged serpent. You took my place so that I can receive 
Jesus literally carried your sickness so you don't have to carry it. You can be free. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to open up our eyes so we can see Jesus. Unveil Jesus hanging on the cross, bearing our sickness, our poverty, our demonic torment, our depression, whatever it is that you need, I'm praying for the one-step program today. You can open your eyes. I don't want to lower your faith, but I do want to say, I I do want to encourage it in, in a kind of a roundabout way. Sometimes the kingdom gets released as a seed. When Jesus did it, 99.9999% of the time, it was an instant. That's the standard that we're going after. Don't be discouraged if it comes impartial and you have to walk it out. Okay? Don't stop believing after the prayer ends. We've had lots of people healed on the way home, healed the next day, healed that week. We've had people who were born blind come here, get prayer, see zero breakthrough, wake up the next day with 20-20 vision. Okay? So don't stop believing. Why did it, why did it wait 24 hours? I don't know. If I knew, I would shorten the time between all of us. But we can't make, you know, miracles are instantaneous, healings are progressive. I don't see that in the Bible. Okay, whoever, I, I, I don't see that. So let's not lower it to, it, taking a long time is normal, but if it takes a long time, we'll take it. If we have to take it an inch at a time, we'll take it. But let's go after the instant, but let's not be discouraged if it doesn't come. And we're going to keep talking about healing the rest of the year. Yes, we are which is only like three more Sundays, I think, you know, since we're meeting every other week. So, oh my gosh. So, let's just think about Jesus. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see Jesus. We're not trying to work up anything. We're just trying to give him an opportunity to let faith flow. You might want to just say something, oh, Lord, I thank you that you bore my sickness. You carried my pain. And by your stripes, I am healed. So whatever that part of the body is, I want you to, if it's like just your heart or whatever, or, you know, it's something inside, just put your hand in that body part. And uh, Jesus said, speak to the mountain. And so uh, shoulder, be healed. Just say it out loud. Command your body. Just like David commanded his soul, bless the Lord on my soul. Knee, be healed. Back, be healed. Cancer, leave my body. Diabetes, be gone. Whatever that thing might be. So we had a word of knowledge earlier about arthritis, and, uh, and someone saw it as, as actually a spirit of infliction. 25% of the cases of sickness in the New Testament were demonic. doesn't mean you're demon-possessed. It means you have a big uh, call in your life, and the enemy's trying to get you from the outside. And so uh, don't get freaked out about it. But if you have arthritis, I command that spirit of infirmity to lift off your body and be free. Whether you're watching online, get your hands on that body part. And just speak a, just a one or two sentence. Shoulder be healed in Jesus' name. Here's what I want you to do. Check it out. Get out in the aisle. Walk around a little bit. Do a little, you don't have to do something noble. You don't have to jump on your broken ankle, but just shift your weight around. See if something's happening. See if, things, if there's a shift. Okay? How many of you are feeling some kind of shift? Something's happening in your body. You can feel some kind of improvement. All right, good. Over there, over there, over there. Awesome. Good. Maybe we need to get you to lay for it. Okay. Jesus, there was a blind guy who came to him. It was a wicked city. Jesus walks him out of the city because sometimes that atmosphere of unbelief is contagious. Jesus prays for him, and he didn't get completely healed the first time. He got partial healing. He said, you know what? I see men walking around like trees. And so uh, Jesus prayed for him a second time. So the, the, the time between his uh, initial prayer and the manifestation was maybe 60 seconds. Like I said, let's not make a religion out of this thing. But it leaves room that we get at least 37 times to pray. Jesus had to pray twice. Sometimes we get to pray more because we're growing in this thing. 
Because why don't you do? Lay your hand on that part again. But come to him afresh. Jesus, we're coming to you like little kids at Christmas expecting a gift. Another word for expectation, another word for faith is expectation. Holy Spirit, I release healing on each person here in the name of Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Say this out loud. This healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. This healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. Do something brave. Stick your hand on the shoulder of the person next to you. If they're single and you like to date them, squeeze their shoulder. I'm kidding. That's terrible. It's terrible. If you're already married, you're welcome. Just say this. This healing belongs to them because of what Jesus has done. Remember, our eyes are, the eyes of our heart, they're on Jesus. We're seeing the wonderfulness of him, healing in the crowds, hanging on the cross. Say it again. This healing belongs to them because of what Jesus has done. Check it out. Check, this, check it out. If you have back pain, I want the pain to be gone. Sometimes the stiffness is there. You just need to stretch out. You'll find out that you've actually received a significant healing. Maybe some of you had some depression. You're feeling lighter. I don't know what it is. And so how many of you now, you're saying, you know what? I'm feeling some improvement. Something has shifted in my body. I want you to wave both hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.